Welcome into another episode of the Yachts and Audibles. I'm your host, Eric Scopel, joined today by Jared Mack. Matt is off once again. Uh, he will be returning for Monday when we uh, begin week two of fall camp, but with week one in the books and with the first of two scrimmages held on Saturday, Jared and I thought it was worthwhile, maybe necessary, to sit down and, and spend some time talking about what we saw. Jared, first off, that was your, I believe, your first scrimmage you've seen in person since, what, fall of 2019, maybe? Uh, yeah, I believe so. Um, it has been a very long time for most people to see a scrimmage in person unless you attended the spring game back in May. I know you were back in Boston at the time. So just mm-hmm. first off, what did it feel like to be in Austin again? I know you were there for SNL, but with some fans watching actual football practice. Uh, it was great. Yeah, no, it's been a long time since I've been in Autzen. Um, video board still is astounding. I didn't find myself watching that as much just because we were we had to keep track of literally everybody who took the field. But <laughs> yes, we did. Every every time I turned over, it's like, oh yeah, that that was a welcome addition. Um, but no, it was great just to see see everything and you know see people on the stands. And uh, although there was fake crowd noise, there were at points real crowd noise. Um, and yeah, it was just awesome to watch football again at the end of the day. Like it was just amazing. You, I mean, you, you, football. you nailed crazy. it. You, you, you nailed it there though. Just talking about the crowd noise. Uh, Mario Crispo made the point of, of, of acknowledging the fact that there were fans there. As you recall, there were supposed to be fans in May for the spring game. Um, but days before that, there was a change with the local government in terms of uh, the mask mandate in terms of all sorts of things. And, and uh, we were first to basically just have media at the event. Um, so this was the first time fans have really been at something, again, that Oregon has been an Oregon practice because I know there were, uh, you know, th- there, there were people at SNL for a very long time. I think there were some that made it to a scrimmage in mid-April for, for the spring. But all in all, for a lot of the people, this was their first this time watching it. Oregon do something in practice at Autzen for a very long time. So just that in general, I wanted to say really notable. Let's just jump into what we that stood out. And I think the obvious place to start is quarterback. Um, mm-hmm. Our second time basically seeing Oregon's full collection of quarterbacks compete in the practice. The other time obviously being the spring game. Some of them took part in the mid-April scrimmage, but it was pretty hard to take too much from it. I actually think we saw more today than we did then. Um, Anthony Brown, Jared, I think – just like objectively was not his best day. Five for 11 passing is how we charted it in 11 along 11 drills, basically the actual scrimmage. Did not take part when they went to situational work. Um, Following about an hour of scrimmage, they did do some third down work, some red zone work, some goal line work, and then some two-minute drill work. Brown was kind of not a part of any of that. That was mostly Ty Thompson and Jay Butterfield. Um, But Brown, just to circle back, I – you have to note that he was facing the first team defense, which has some dudes that were in his face. Justin Flo was all over the field. Braden Swinson and Kayvon Thibodeau and Adrian Jackson were all over the field. Brendan Dorless and Christian Williams and Keon Ware Hudson, I thought, had some nice pressure up the middle. Even got some guys off the, you know, so they had a couple blitz packages. And we saw, you know, Steve Stevens be disruptive at time. We saw, um, I think, some other defensive backs. But all in all, I think it was a pretty lackluster performance from Brown. And I know we've been speaking basically since the spring about how this felt like it was an inevitability that he's a starter, but 
I certainly came away thinking that Ty Thompson had a better day throwing the ball, and maybe Jay Butterfield did too compared to Mr. Brown. Yeah, I thought, I thought Anthony Brown was just very underwhelming at the end of the day. Um, he is the safest option. He has the most experience, and he will probably be the guy to lead Oregon at the start of the season, however. Oh, you're, you're, his, already, you're already howevering. I am howevering. I just, you know, like, Brown was obviously, he was going against the ones, and that's, and honestly, the ones on defense showed out tonight. Um, I think they have, you could argue that they have more talent than the offense, and I think that was very evident today. Um, but, you know, the, the difference between watching Anthony Brown throw and Ty Thompson throw is, uh, yesterday it was almost like a confidence thing. Brown, I felt, on multiple passes, tried to place the ball somewhere. Like, really tried to, okay, I have to hit my receiver in stride or the running back out of the backfield. I have to hit them going forward. I can't not – I can't throw it behind them. I can't do anything. Like, he was in his head thinking about how he was going to throw the football, what reads he was going to make. And he never made just a simple play. When Ty Thompson was able to you, – you could, from our vantage point, Section 28 – you could physically see Ty Thompson's head move from one target yeah. to the next to the next and then throw to whoever was open. Usually it was Chris Hudson for what it was worth. And he had an, an, and so Ty just made the easy play. If he had a blitzer off the edge, he'd dump it to his running back and he would get five, six yards. He had one play in particular that I really loved was he had a I forgot who was rushing. Someone was rushing off the edge and Ty did a spinorama to try to buy himself time. And then almost before he set at his feet or really even turned his head, he, the ball had already gone out because he knew exactly where the running back was on the field, which was the blitzer's coverage. So he just launched it over to where the running back should be. He was there. He caught it for like eight or nine yards. Yeah. And that's I good, thought that's – a good, that's, a, that's a good play to point to, I thought. I just think it was interesting that Anthony Brown – has very similar mobility to Ty Thompson and has more experience and everything, but he just couldn't make the right play on Saturday. And again, first scrimmage of the season, don't want to overreact or anything like that. I did come away thinking if I, I came away thinking if Mario Cristobal wants to do something special this year, it's Ty Thompson. Not that we're paid to overreact, um, but we are paid to react, which is what we're doing right now. So, I mean, again, I think I, I, we, we had the caveat up top of he's facing first-team defense. Everyone else is facing second-team defenses, maybe third-team defenses. He's facing the top-tier guys. And Oregon's defense, I think we all think, is one of the better defenses in the Pac-12, maybe one of the best in the country. And it looked like it on Saturday, and, and in part because Brown didn't look prepared. Um, to deal with some of the pressure. I think the pressure in particular, and we should note, non-contact for quarterbacks. So if, say, Kayvon Thibodeau makes contact with him at all, it's down. If he gets close to him, basically, and breathes on him, he's down. So some of Brown's ability to make plays with his legs, which I did think was pretty impressive. Honestly, his legs were probably more impressive than his arm on Saturday. You probably agree with that, Jared. Um, mm -hmm. That was somewhat negated by just the way the game is played in a scrimmage setting where you can't, really scramble and you really can't evade quarterback pressure so but I mean I will say like when they did bring a pressure 
and it, this also probably something we should note of just the offensive line Oregon had, not that they were terrible, but I thought the defensive front won more reps than not. And I think that's an objective stance that most players on the team would agree with. And the coaches too, Amara Cristobal made note of some of that. Um, but there's certainly a room, you know, getting back to my point of we're not trying to overreact. We have to react. Like we were out there, we watched it and, and it wasn't something that you didn't come away feeling great about it. And I think when you consider the fact that in less than a month, they're going to be in Columbus playing Ohio state who has a defense that is at least comparable. Some might argue better than Oregon's. I think they're probably actually going to be pretty evenly matched with from a talent perspective and an experienced perspective. Ohio state did lose quite a bit in the off season. Um, but like, this doesn't make you feel great about that matchup. I'll put it that way. I don't come away feeling like, well, Anthony Brown was five eleven in a scrimmage setting against his own team. That makes me feel really good about what we're going to see on September 11th. So I think that part stands out in terms of the other guys. Ty Thompson was undoubtedly, I think, the best performer of the day. Um, mm-hmm. Jared ran through a lot of it, so I don't want to rehash too much of it. But he was five for six when they went into third down conversion drills. This is actually this is actually might be the best way to just kind of compare the different quarterbacks. Is Ty Thompson was five for six when they went into third down drills. So it was like third and six, third and seven, third and eight, long third downs. He has to complete a pass. If he doesn't, it, you know, it's a loss. If he completes it, it's a win. And they, get, and they pick up the first down. They convert it. He was five for six. Anthony Brown was one for six. And his one conversion was like kind of iffy. I don't know if Verdell actually got to the line to get or not. But it looked like it was close enough that they, they gave it to him. Um, and then Jay Butterfield was two for four. So – the two and, and Robbie Ashford, I don't know if we said it earlier, he's dealing with some injuries. He did not take part in very much. I think he had like one series with the third team offense and then did a little bit of two minute drill work, but not a lot from him um, in general. But the other two that did play, I thought like kind of outperformed at, you know, Anthony at times. So certainly something to keep an eye on. Oregon will scrimmage again on Saturday. I don't know if we're going to be able to watch that one. I, I kind of expect we will again, but. Um, regardless, we'll continue to monitor this. I don't think there's, I don't, my opinion doesn't change, change about who's going to start the season and about who the starting quarterback will remain. Cause I think Brown is going to continue to be that guy, but certainly don't come away from this scrimmage setting, feeling really good about how Anthony Brown performed and kind of where that quarterback spot is. You feel better about the depth behind him. Um, yeah. but, but certainly you're kind of going like, I don't, I don't know. Like this, this is not Justin Herbert, obviously. And like, I don't like how much better is this than what we saw from Tyler Shuck. I mean, I think it, I think he is a better quarterback and I know those listening are probably like, Oh boy, if you didn't watch the scrimmage and you just heard me compare him to Tyler Shuck, you think like, Oh boy, we're in for it. Um, <laughs> there's a reason those two were on campus last year and, and, and Shuck was starting for most of the season, you know, I started every game. So um, just some thoughts on that. I, I, I do think the staff clearly has a lot of trust. The players have trust in Brown. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to just assume that the, he looks a lot better when they're in live situations in practice, but for an hour or so on Saturday night, I was not overly impressed, still optimistic that they can get it to work, but um, just has to get, has to be said that what we saw was not the best play from Anthony Brown. Um, moving on to a couple of other standouts here, Jared, um, mm-hmm. Isaiah Brevard stands out. I think we're just like, let's focus on offense first and then we can talk about defense. Yeah, there's, sure. a ton of, there's a ton of defensive guys that definitely popped, but Brevard was, of the three freshman receivers, the most productive on Saturday. He scored mm-hmm. – he found the end zone twice, one in 11-on-11 from a pass from Ashford, the only touchdown in that sequence on those drills. 
Um, and, and just to, just to, I guess, sort of um, paint the picture of how good the defense was, there were 11 drives that we charted in just full scrimmage setting, you know, where, where it wasn't red zone, it wasn't third down, it wasn't two-minute drill, it wasn't whatever. Only one of those resulted in points, and that was a touchdown pass from Robbie Ashford to Isaiah Brevard. I thought Brevard was really impressive. He later scored again on a pass from Jay Butterfield in the red zone uh, drill part of the practice. So Brevard, though, was the one we hadn't seen really from this group. We saw both Dante Thornton and Troy Franklin dominate. We should note Franklin got a lot of first-team run, was actually with the first-team offense basically all day. But Brevard yeah. working with the second and third units, uh, really, really impressed with what we saw from, from him. Yeah, he was great. Uh, Chris Hudson was also really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, he kind of he's he just fits that slot wide receiver mold, um, but he do it he does it differently than I feel. Micah, he's more of a long strider. He kind of fits into more crevices in the defense than Pittman, or even Jalen um, Red, like very different than Jalen Red. Yeah, so Jalen Red was a non-participant in that in yesterday's scrimmage, for what it's worth. Yep. Um, yeah, no, the, he, uh, I really like Hudson. He did. He got up with the – Was he was a number one starter, right? He was on the ones when they came out. He, he was with the first group when they came out, but John Johnson and he certainly rotated in and out. And Hudson got a lot of work with the second unit, and especially with, with Ty Thompson, like you said earlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's there, – there weren't a whole lot of offensive performers. Uh, like the, That's how good the defense was. But Chris Hudson was there, definitely, Isaiah Brevard. Um, Troy Franklin was just fun to watch. He didn't really get too many targets, but he's he's very smooth in the open field. He's got great route running skills, and I think he's going to be someone who actually you know puts his foot down and really helps the offense at points this season. Running back, we saw all the running backs that were available. We should know actually here that Sean Dollars was fully dressed. First time we'd seen him. Um, at practice period um, didn't go through a whole lot when they did a little bit of the preliminary practice stuff obviously didn't take part in the scrimmage neither did Trey Benson but CJ Verdell I thought had some nice moments in the passing game in particular Travis Dye played quite a bit also looked good um, but I thought the two true freshmen had some nice moments Seven McGee boy mm-hmm. this kid is really really dynamic explosive oh man yeah. definitely had his welcome <laughs> definitely by the way had his welcome to college football moment on a on oh, try, trying to pick up justin flow and pass protection and ended up on his backside basically when contact was made i mean it, it was probably the hit of the day was byron oh, Cardwell tr- trying to protect uh, i don't even sorry seven mcgee i don't even know who the quarterback he was trying to protect was it, it was i think it was one of the freshmen it was anthony brown no. was it anthony brown yeah that makes sense because flow would be out there for, for brown sequences and not the freshman, but just absolutely obliterated, <laughs> obliterated seven. God, that um, was so bad. And we didn't see seven for a couple sequences after. I, I, first, I was worried he was hurt, and I think maybe it was more like Jim Mastro being like, uh, I don't know exactly what you're going to do against Justin Flo, but do something better, because what you did was basically roadkill. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but he was in, in space, really impressive in the return game, really impressive. Mario made uh, note of that following the scrimmage just of – McGee being someone who really could factor in there, I, I think would be a great choice as a punt return or a kick returner. Um, we saw oh, yeah. him, we saw him do a little bit of both on on Saturday, so he's going to help as a return guy, I think for sure. He had two jukes on Saturday. Well, I, I, just really quick, they're, they're, not just, even juke, they're just he's just the cuts almost. It's not even like a full juke. It's just he's so fluid, you know. Yeah, I mean, he had two of them, and, and the second one was right in front of us, and I believe it was Bossa who came in to hit him. 
and he did a job like a cut or a juke or something it, but completely completely broke boss's ankles like everybody in the stadium could see it you everybody gave the oh like it was an and one mixtape right afterwards <laughs> it was it was great and he had another one on a punt return that i or a kick return excuse me that i didn't really catch but that second one on Bossa was just really impressive like Bossa had a, a straight line right for the tackle here you go man and then just completely whiffed both the Vorgans, it was impressive both of Oregon's new tight ends I thought had some nice moments um Ferguson in particular as a pass catcher continues to impress he had a really nice bailout catch for about 15 yards and a diving pass from a pass from Thompson on the third down sequence um portion of practice that was just like crap I don't know how many guys from Oregon in the last 10 years could make that play I mean legitimately one of those like Wow, he's really long, and the ball was thrown way away, way far away from him, but he fully extended, made the catch, brought it in. It was a conversion. And if it was a real game and that was in a big moment, it would have been a play we were talking about all week of just, man, that kid made a heck of a play and heck of a catch. Um, mm-hmm. But he was impressive. We should note DJ Johnson made his debut at practice, didn't really do anything. Um, Johnson had not been with the team. We, we don't know why. Um, still there's lack of clarity there, but Mario Crispo said afterwards, they're really happy to have him back. I don't think you can expect DJ to do a lot even this week in practice. Cause they're going to work him back into being full participant probably through I'm guessing maybe like Thursday, Friday, he's fully go maybe, but good to see him back out there. Uh, we should note Patrick Herbert might've suffered a semi-serious injury. We should, I, I actually just wanted to clear the air on this. I, I, it's such a small thing. Um, but we didn't see it at all. Um, we were watching so closely the whole practice and the one there was about a five minute sequence where all the media was told we had to get off the field. We started being able to, sh- to shoot photos and be on the field for this. This is what they call the flex prior to practice where they're doing stretch and then kind of these individual drills. After about 20 minutes of that, we were taken up into the bleachers. And I think during that sequence, it had to have been where we weren't looking over at the field constantly when Herbert went down and was then removed by medical staff. That's what a couple of fans who were there said. None of us media saw it. None of the sports information staff saw it. You know, we were, we were seeing it on the message board of Herbert was taken off with a serious injury, and every person to a man up there in the media section is going like, I didn't see that. And then we were looking, you know, again, James Crepe was sitting next to us from the Oregonian. He had his binoculars, and we couldn't find him on the sideline, and we're kind of like, they're probably right, but we couldn't actually ID it. So um, that's one we're going to probably have to wait until we see Mario on Tuesday to see if there's an update. Um, certainly, I don't think we'll see him in practice if it was something serious on Tuesday, but we'll have further clarity on that one. Um, I know some listening probably wanted an update on that. There was none given by Mario post-practice. He actually was, at, he was asked about health and said he thought the team was really healthy. None of the injuries were serious. I don't know if he was unaware of what happened with Patrick or what, but um, just kind of, that's kind of the update on what we have with him. Um, was there anything else at tight end that stood out besides the Ferguson catch? And I think Matavajo had a couple nice moments too. Uh, no, not not really. Cam McCormick got a little bit of run. Oh, that, nice duh, duh, that's such an easy one. Yeah, go ahead and talk about that. That was significant. Yeah, Cam came out with the second team, I believe, on offense, Eric, right? Yeah, and I, and I want to note that I thought it was somewhat interesting that they didn't have – I don't think he was ever engaged as a blocker. They had him kind of spread wide. I'm guessing they just don't want him involved in too much physical, physical stuff at a scrimmage to avoid an injury. Anything. But just seeing just yeah. seeing him in the field was honestly awesome. Yeah. No, he was out there. He went through warm-ups. Just getting out on the field was great to see. Um, Spencer Webb was the starting, or I guess, with the ones. Uh, he didn't – I uh, didn't have. I don't. I don't. I don't think he had a catch today, or excuse me, yesterday. 
Yeah, I don't know um, if he did either. But I thought, yeah, like you said, Terrence Ferguson's ability to just catch the ball, very impressive. He, he runs really well for a guy his size. Um, well, Ferguson told me on, on Friday that he basically played wide receiver and not tight end in high school. He was playing in a really small high school in Colorado, and he was by far, as you'd expect, the team's most talented receivers. And he said no one could really defend him at the level he was playing in, in small ball in Colorado. So he hadn't really done a whole lot of blocking or tight end stuff. So he is, he does have some of that natural wide receiver kind of pass catching skill set. And I think we've seen that so far. And, and honest, honestly, like I am not going to be surprised if he's somebody who is the team's top wide receiver tight end combo kind of body type mold player for a while at Oregon. I think he and Matabajo as a, as a pair could complement each other really, really well. So um thought that was a standout too. Um, Let's talk defense, where I think there's just a lot of guys, and we're probably going to mm-hmm. forget some of them. But the was there anything? By the way, we should know. I tracked the first team offense. You tracked first team defense. Were there any big surprises other than people filling in for players that were absent? Really, first team defense? No. Uh, I mean, I uh, probably not. No, because we had Jordan everybody Happel. who was supposed. Like, yeah, Jordan Happel was in there, but everybody who was quote-unquote supposed to start was starting so we didn't I guess I don't know if I had to pick one thing I guess it'd be maybe the combination of Noah Sewell and Drew Mathis and not Noah Sewell and Justin Flo for the the, first team the first time out yeah yeah that was that was that was certainly notable and then they did go to Flo a lot more after that so in reading by the way in reading um Rob Mosley's practice reports, it, it, it does seem to indicate that there is a serious comp, you know, competition going on between Justin and Drew Mathis for that spot. I'm going to guess, and I kind of hate to say this because this happened last fall for Drew, where he was in a battle with Noah Sewell for playing time, and then the season starts, <laughs> and it's like, yeah, Noah Sewell's just better than you. Um, love Drew Mathis. I think he's a great team player. At the end of the day, the, the, the athletic advantages of Justin Flo make it really hard for me to foresee a scenario where he's not playing primarily the most snaps possible at that will spot. So, uh, and he did play more than Drew did yesterday for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, the other, so so two 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 guys we think are going to be starters did not play on defense. That was Mace Foon and Bennett Williams. Both guys kind of dealing with some injuries. Um, we've already noted Jordan Happel replaced Williams with the first team defense. Um, that was, I think, notable. And then the, the the player who actually, like, I'll just throw him out here as one of the most impressive players, and Mario Cristobal spoke at length about how awesome he's been all week, was Braden Swinson, who filled in for Funa opposite of KT at outside linebacker and was all over the place. A couple sacks, a couple tackles for loss, I think made some plays in space. Just like, I thought a really good player. And Mario Cristobal said afterwards that the player who'd made the biggest strides, the biggest improvements from day one of fall camp till Saturday scrimmage on the entire team was Swinson. Um, and this is a guy who played uh, quite a bit last year. He was Thibodeau's primary backup. Um, you know, and, and again, Thibodeau's playing a different role. Swinson's now playing a different role. Swinson dropped 35 pounds this offseason. Mario did say he thinks that's probably closer to 20 or 25. And it's kind of funny. Mario, Mario did note, by the way, Jared, just this is a small thing, that he doesn't think the weights on the roster are very accurate. And then was like, but I give the weights to you guys. So that's kind of on me. And I'm kind of going like, yeah. 
Okay. <laughs> yeah. Give us the real ones. Like what, what do these guys actually weigh? Cause you know, he knows everyone's weight. I mean, it's actually impressive. We could, <laughs> yeah. if we wanted to, we could probably put together a, a Mario Cristobal roster and have two thirds of the roster filled in with just the weights he said at different media events where he goes, yeah. And, uh, yeah. And, and, you know, uh, Trevon Mai is weighing between 259 and, and 267 this camp. And you're going like, all right, there's, there's his weight. So, but uh, Swinson is very specific too. He's very he's like, oh, he's in the 260s. He's like, well, I think yesterday for Swinson, he's like, I, I think Brady's in the, like the 243 to 248 range. It's like, oh, okay. So he's, he's there. Okay. Because cool. he listed at 234 and he was at 269 last year. And one of the things we wrote about was, boy, this guy lost 35 pounds. Certainly didn't look like a player who was lacking in any area, honestly. And like Cristobal said, he thinks it's going to be a really big year for Swinson. Uh, when Funa gets back, I'm going to be kind of curious to see, like, is, is he pushed a little bit by Swinson? Because I, I had not really thought that was a, a position battle to note. Um, and again, it's hard to gauge if it really is because the, you know, de facto incumbent starter was not, was not participating. But Swinson certainly was notable. I thought another outside linebacker I wanted to, to shout out was Trevin Maai. Um, I mentioned him a second ago. Got a lot of run with the first team, a lot of run with the second team. Um, a player who pretty unheralded as a recruit, I think kind of goes under the radar, but up to 267 pounds. Again, I think we mentioned it on Friday's show. Came in in like the 220 range, put on over 40 pounds, just a look completely mm-hmm. different body type. I-, I thought both those guys as edge guys, as players, again, who haven't played a ton. I mean, Swinson played a fair amount last year. My eye hasn't really played. Both those guys I thought performed really, really well. Winning, running with the first team defense and again it was a first team defense that for the most part had Anthony Brown and, and the offense kind of in check yeah no both those guys are super impressive I thought Braden was great I thought he was probably the best defensive player on Saturday either him or Justin Flo yeah, um, I'd, probably, I'd probably go Flo even just because some of the stuff some of the hits are just like oh my gosh <laughs> chill <laughs> he was they were both were fantastic no Swinson uh, there were very few reps where he didn't just have this unbelievable burst off the line. Yeah. And very just beat whoever was playing tackle that time. Um, and I wanted to give some love to, to KT's second stringer in uh, Ajax. Yeah. Jackson. No, good call. He was, he was very good tonight or yesterday night. Excuse me. I think I've done that three times now. Um, no, he was great. Uh, his, he, him off the line too. He just gets that first step, and he beats almost whoever is on the other side of him. Um, um, a lot. Of, well, I just want to say a lot of credit to Tim DeRuiter because Funa's not out there. We should also mention that um, Jaden Navarrete, Jake Shipley are both also out, and Shipley was Funa's primary backup in the spring. Um, and Navarrete came into camp, I think, being considered to push a guy like Swinson or – my or even maybe a Jackson for playing time so these are three guys that will definitely factor into some snaps out there that were absent and yet the guys that were out there like you just said you mentioned three players that aren't KT or those other three that looked really good I mean I think the depth on the outside linebacker credit to Tim DeRuiter like everybody that seems like they put out there is a dude even Brandon Buckner by the way I was just gonna mention yeah yeah what do you have to say about him I thought he was impressive and that's a guy again who's like I wasn't expecting to be a contributor, but he looks like he could do some stuff if they need him. Yeah. No, the second team line of Brandon Buckner, Christian Williams, Suava, and uh, Terrell Tillman also was good. Oh, I mean, and you had some Jabril McNeil love too. Oh, Jabril McNeil and Terrell Tillman are both they're, – they're very 
similar looking individuals in terms of body shape. And they, they might be the same person cloned and put in two different jerseys. And they're, awesome. yeah, they're number 14 and 17 on, uh, as linebackers. Very confusing. However, both of them were great off the edge. I think that's just been kind of the, the person Oregon has been recruiting the last couple of years, now looking at it all. Yeah. Like, what are, these, what are these edge rushers, these outside linebackers, all have in common? It's that their first step is just better than everybody else's. So, and I know it was against the, the, the threes, but Terrell Tillman or uh, Jabril McNeil, excuse me, against the threes was lighting it up. He was every single down, he was in the backfield somehow. And uh, Brandon, to go back to, to Brandon Buckner, Brandon Buckner certainly looks the part of somebody who could fill in and, and play some downs potentially this season in that type of scenario. And, you know, he was effective. He got pressure. Um, and that's, I, at, would you at agree this point, that's all you need. Would you agree he's probably the most game-ready of the outside true freshman recent enrollees? Because there are three of them, and you said the McNeil, um, Tillman, and I think we, all, we both agree Buckner's probably the one we expect. If one of them does play, it's probably him. Yeah. On, yeah, like on, on the defensive front, for sure. I could see uh, Tillman or McNeil getting some special team run. Mm-hmm. And I think they, I actually think they could be quite good at that. But yeah, of the, of the three, I think Buckner's the most ready to go. Um, you know, he made an impact today. I think he, he got some second team reps. Uh, he was mostly third team, but he, he put in the effort. He put in the work just like everybody's been saying. And, and basically anytime somebody on the team, the coach or player talks about him, they just can't, can't stop saying enough good things about him. And it's clear, you know, he's clearly a hard worker and he's great at his craft. And he's, everybody had the, oh, he's undersized for a lineman or a linebacker type, but he's showing out. He's putting all that like as a chip on his shoulder. Yeah, Mario has said a couple times he's just really advanced fundamentally. His dad played in the NFL, was, a, was also a, a, a really good, I think, kind of pass rush. Bigger, bigger, than, his, bigger than Brandon, but um, certainly has some genetics there. Uh, up front, guys that put their hand down. We should note the guys we were just talking about all doing it from a two-point stance, right? They're, they're all standing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I thought there was good internal pressure throughout from the guys that we would expect, you know, the Keon Warhudsons and the Popo Amavais and the uh, Brandon Doralises and Christian Williams. Like, those four guys did what we expected they would. Um, I thought the mm-hmm. run game in general was – was not particularly impressive from the offense throughout. I mean, there were certainly some nice plays, but there were quite a few where, where they were stopped right around the line of scrimmage, either by defensive linemen or by linebackers. I, I thought just the front seven in general definitely won more reps than they lost, whether it be in passing situations or running situations. So I thought that was notable. And then the secondary, um, I think the most impressive part of this is Oregon is down so many cornerbacks. I don't know if those listening realize how many players are out at corner. DJ James is suspended. Jalen Davies, we saw leaving Thursday's practice with some sort of injury. And it looked like it, I don't know when to say it's like, he's going to be out for a while, but I wouldn't be surprised if he misses a little bit of practice this week. Um, He wasn't available. And Avante Dickerson suffered another injury at some point during last week and also did not take part in the scrimmage. That left you with four cornerbacks that are scholarship players Mikhail Wright who we know a lot about and then Tricris Bridges Dante Manning and Darren Barkins I came away thinking between Tricris Bridges and Dante Manning Oregon's gonna have a really good number two corner 
Um, Bridges got the first run, by the way, which is I thought was a little surprising. I had, based on what I'd heard and what we'd kind of seen, it looked like Dante would probably be the first one out there. It was not the case, and Bridges didn't disappoint. I don't think he was beaten hardly at all. Um, had the best pass break of the day where he used those seven foot two arms to knock a pass that was intended for. He did that. He did that a couple times. So. For Troy Franklin. And yeah, and, and Fra- Franklin, did get impressive. The, Franklin did get the better of him in a um, corner of the end zone kind of fade pass that I, I don't remember who threw it. If it was, it was one of the freshmen, I think, that threw it for uh, a touchdown in either red zone or goal line sequence. Um, but those guys battled back and forth, and it, it wasn't like Franklin dominated at all. In fact, Franklin, notably, you know, Cristobal said he had a pretty quiet night. I think Bridges deserves a lot of credit for that. Um, Manning, similar stuff, thought he was really, really active. Um, they, you know, when, they, when he was with the second team, they basically never threw at him. They threw at Barkins all night. And Barkins, Barkins hey, Barkins kind of held up too. I mean, he gave up a 40-yard pass to Tevin Yanis, one of the walk-on receivers who – is better than your traditional walk-on receiver. Yanis actually had a really nice day in general, but he got beat off the line by him. Yanis caught it, was about four yards downfield, but Barkin stuck with it, stripped the ball, popped it out, and Manning jumped on it. Um, I, I thought, hey, good for Barkins. He played a ton of snaps, and I think a thing that now stands out from the spring scrimmage um, and the spring game and now this scrimmage is is they've had multiple key guys out in these you know, competition settings, these kind of game sort of game-like kind of settings where they're trying to simulate a game atmosphere. And that's required Darren Barkins to play a lot. That's required, think back to the spring, Dalen, you know, Jalen Davies and Dante Manning to play a lot. Um, Tricrest Bridges played a lot in place of DJ James in the scrimmage before that. So we've had all of these – like DJ James, by the way, hasn't taken part in a scrimmage since I don't know when. He missed the mid-scrimmage uh, in April. He missed the spring game, and now he's not taking part in fall for obvious reasons. Um, but I, I come, I, I don't know, like Jared, what do you think at the corner room? I, I, I came away thinking like they had all four scholarship guys that played, like all of them look pretty darn good and, and Bridges and Manning in particular, I, I think you're going to be really pleased with, with whoever wins that job. Yes. No, a hundred percent. I also want to mention the lone returning starter that played Michael Wright. Very good. He just what? Quite he just did exactly what he needed to do today or yesterday. And he was, he, was he even thrown at, by the way, I don't think anyone ever threw at him. He was thrown out a couple times. I remember one in particular is Anthony Brown, like on an end around where he just kind of held the ball and then threw up a jump ball between Michael Wright and I think it was Johnny Johnson. Yeah. And Michael Wright almost made a one hand interception while there was an offensive pass interference, basically. So he was good. No surprise. But I thought the, I thought Tricrest Bridges starting was very interesting. But then you, on that first series, you like immediately found out why. He, with the, I forgot who was the wide receiver on the play, but Bridges got beat and Anthony Brown threw up a jump ball. And it seemed like it was too far away for Bridges to get. And then basically the last second, he jumps up, stretches out his arms, and knocks the ball away. That was the, uh, like, that was the Troy Franklin pass I was talking about, yeah. Yeah, and right then you're like, oh, okay. Like, that's a play that, Eric, I think you said this, that nobody else in the defense makes just because of his pure wingspan. It's going to be such a benefit. And then I thought Dante Manning had another, just a, another good day of coverage. There were a couple of plays where he was all over a receiver. Even if they made the catch, he was immediately there to make the tackle. Um, well, and, and both those guys kind of wallypopped a couple guys too. Like I didn't think like, you know, if they did get beat, which is very infrequently, or if they were, you know, around a play, like they didn't shy away from contact. 
No, they yeah, they both went right into it. I think everybody in the secondary did. I think that was something that the 2019 team had, where mm-hmm. everybody in the secondary basically played downhill. Yeah, and they they weren't shying away from contact, and you you saw that again. You saw that again uh, yesterday. Verone McKinley had a couple good hits. Uh, Scoop, Damon David had a couple good ones. Um, like you said, Manning, Bridges, they just didn't shy away from contact. If there was somebody coming up the middle, they were probably going to get hit. Other guys in the secondary that might have stood out, I, I don't think it's – I think we kind of run through a lot of it. Brian Addison had a couple of nice pass breakups, both on – honestly, both on passes where the opposing quarterback just kind of threw it to his general area, I think didn't know where to go with the ball. Um, mm-hmm. Nice to see him out there making some some plays and being a contributor. I think he's, I would say, a little bit down the depth chart. Not a, not a guy who got any first-team reps, got a little with the twos. Um, sort of expect he's more special teams or certain situations. But, again, it's early in camp, so it's too early to maybe draw too big a conclusions for what we can expect from Brian. But, um, you know, I, I just think in general the secondary, you know, I talked about the outside linebackers and how impressive I was with the depth there. And they're down three guys that we think are going to be contributors, and they still played really well. Secondaries, I mean, we talked about at corner already, but even, even in that safety, you know, um, Bennett Williams isn't playing. Jamal Hill isn't playing. That's their two top star nickel defensive backs. Those, are the prime, those would be their first or second team guys if they're available. Neither was, and I didn't see a huge drop-off. You know, Jeffrey Boss had played a little bit of, with the ones, mostly with the twos. But, like, I didn't think – I thought Happel played pretty good. Hey, you know, credit mm-hmm. to him. I've been critical of his play in the past. Didn't see him make a lot of mistakes. Was he, is he perfect? Is he the athlete that you want at that position? Probably not. Is If I had to choose between him and Bennett Williams or Jamal Hill at that spot, the answer to me is pretty clear cut. But good for Jordan for being out there and, and I think contributing. It certainly didn't look like he was, you know, out of, you know, he didn't look like he was outclassed out there at all. So, um, <clears throat> But in general, I'm just impressed with the secondary and the line. Like the, the whole defense was down a lot of guys and just played at a really high level. Um, and and I think that stands out. Again, for a secondary to be down probably half a dozen key players and to really keep an Oregon pass attack in check. And we should also note, like, Oregon did not have Devin Williams, Jalen Red, DJ uh, Johnson, Isaiah Crocker, Josh Delgado. It's like f- uh, Patrick Herbert. It's like six kind of notable Lance Wilhoyt, who I don't think is notable, but he's a receiver on the scholarship. It's like seven guys who didn't take part as pass catchers on offense. So there's so many guys in and out that it's sort of hard to draw too many conclusions. But um, regardless, when it, whoever was out there on the field, the defensive backs definitely showed that they're capable of, of winning those matchups and honestly probably won more than they lost. Um, lastly, special teams. Oh, I Tom, like we skipped – did we skip something? Uh, we skipped the linebacker core. No, we talked about we talked a lot about the linebackers, didn't we? Well, we mentioned uh, Justin Flo's heavy hitting. We talked outside guys. I don't. I don't. I mean, I, I don't. I mean, I don't want to belabor the inside stuff too much because we. I mean, Flo was out there decking dudes, and Sewell's being Sewell, and Drew Mathis was out there with the ones. I and mean, I don't. I don't know if there's much else to. For me, to, I don't know if there's much else to share. I mean, you can go, if you want to give me a. Oh, a good two minutes of Justin Flo talk about what you saw from him just clobbering guys and, and maybe ending their football careers. We can go through that, but <laughs> four, seven, man, he did yeah, seven, seven that guys. Was really bad. And, and I'm trying to think if it was, I think it was Cardwell got clubbed pretty good on a, on one where he actually was carrying the football and it was just like, Oh, Oh, Justin's around. This is not going to end well. Um, he was everywhere. For it was very impressive. Him and yeah. him and Sewell were like, if there's going to be a sweep to the right or the left, like one of those guys are going to get him. Well, and it's just ridiculous how fast they play. 
the I'm defense just, in general. Physically, physically, those two guys as 19-year-olds or whatever their age is right now, it's just absolutely astonishing their physical capabilities. I mean, uh, I mean, you think about – I don't know how much longer they're going to be around Oregon. They have to play this year and then also in 22. But I wouldn't be surprised if both of them are gone after that. Just cherish watching these guys play because these guys are going to be really freaking good football players. And thinking about what they're going to be as professionals, my gosh, like it's, it's special. So, um, But I did want to talk special teams before, before we close it out. Tom Snee, man, he got a leg. He's got a leg. Oregon has a, nice, has a really nice punter, I think, this year. Um, directionally was even really solid at times. I don't think anyone else from what I saw punted. I think they just were like, Tom, you're the punter. You take as many snaps as you want in live situations because heck we don't simulate those very often. So just keep doing it. And every time he delivered, I thought he was really impressive. Uh, was, uh, I thought again, Tom was really good in 2020, his first year as a full-time punter. I would expect him to get even better in 21. You know, you think Aussie punter, you think the rollout thing. He doesn't do that. He punts it like he grew up in the States. And honestly, and I know he has the capability of doing the rollout. They've talked about it in the past. But everything we've seen from him has been really impressive. And then on kicks, Hank the Tank, Henry Cattleman, the Cattle Monster. God, he has a lot of nicknames. Um, I just made up two, so um, (laughs) that's part of it. But uh, 45-yarder drilled that, also hit the uh, – I think he had a PAT. He looked good. Camden Lewis hit his field goal from 30-ish yards, Jared, something like that. Yeah, I think so. Um, also looked fine. Uh, kickoffs, I think it was notable Camden handled those over Cattleman. I don't think Cattleman even tried a kickoff. So I think there's going to be some sort of role sharing there a little bit. I don't think it's going to be – I think basically you'll see Cattleman as the place kicker, and you'll see – Lewis maybe handling kickoffs, although uh, a junior college kickoff specialist, if you will, uh, Will Hutchinson also did a little bit of kickoffs. So um, some guys trying different things. And then in the return game, before we wrap this up, kind of notable, the first guys out there were people we weren't expecting to be out there. Um, Troy Franklin and, and Chris Hudson, I believe were the first mm-hmm. kickoff return guys. And We've heard plenty of Hudson, and, and actually by the end of last year, he was one of the primary guys out there. But uh, Franklin's not a name we had seen even attached with the job, but he was out there, didn't field any kicks. In fact, I think he was only out there for one. Um, but interesting that he's being used there. We'd heard other freshmen, you know, Seven McGee, who, by the way, was out there returning some kicks and punts. Super impressive. Again, I said it earlier, like, I'm not going to be surprised at all if he wins one of those jobs, and, and, and he's probably not going to have a huge role on offense, and I'm sure he could play a little bit, but I'm guessing primarily as a return guy, he can be super dynamic. Um, is there anything else on special teams that caught your eye? Uh, I think Byron Cardwell was out there as well for one of them. He was out there, I think. Um, I know Micah Pittman and Johnny Johnson, the third, both were out there for, for some punts as well. Um, Von Reams, who's a walk-on freshman, was out there at, on a kickoff return spot as well. I mean, they they really rolled through a lot of guys. But mm-hmm. I think that's kind of it I, 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 in terms of return and special teams stuff. Um, I think yeah. all in it was all. It's just I, good to see – just good to – you know, Hank, Henry Cattleman being the – I think I think there is, you know, Coach Williams said that there's competition there, but I don't know. I think it's still uh, Cattleman's job to lose. Agreed. Agreed. We'll, we'll, we'll certainly get more of an idea throughout camp of how that's progressing. I would just be really surprised if the game against Fresno State opens and they try out the kicking team, you know, the place kicking team, and he's not out there, and it's Camden Lewis. I think that would be 
not ideal, but again, if that's the case, I assume Camden's done enough in practice to earn, earn that opportunity. Um, parting thoughts, anything else that we didn't talk about that you think stood out from, from what, again, the first of two scrimmages this fall? Uh, I don't think we got a Jason Jones reference in there. So Jason Jones, I thought he did well. Uh, he came in on the second team sometimes, just a rotational big guy up front. Uh, he and Ajax ended one drive, just got internal pressure, and then Ajax around the edge. I thought that was good. Um, oh, Justin, 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 Flo, Justin Flo did pick up a, a fumble recovery on a bad option exchange from Jay Butterfield to, I think it was Travis Dye was the running back yeah. during yep. some Which was basically forced by Flo. Like yeah, he was just in the backfield, and they didn't have anywhere to go with the ball because if Jay keeps it, he's just going to get touched. Piled. I would hope Justin would respect the quarterback touch rule and not take out his teammate. I don't think he would, but there was an opportunity for a big hit to be leveled there. Um, Jay goes, I don't want this ball. Let's give it to someone else. And that other person was like, I don't think I want it either, and your pitch is terrible. <laughs> and the result was Justin flow on the football um, to end that. I thought it was a red zone, or I think it might have been gold line work, actually, from like the three-yard line. So. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm just trying, I was trying to think of any like turnovers or anything else that stood out for, from a big play perspective. Um, there weren't a lot of big running plays. I think notably most of the big plays were in the passing game. Um, yeah. I think that's par for the course, kind of the way the team is constructed. So, um, the plan for the week, uh, media is not available on Sunday. There, there is no practice Monday. There is a practice, but they are uh, in shells that's closed to media though. And there's no availability for interviews afterwards there will be availability for interviews throughout the rest of next week from tuesday through saturday um we have a schedule there we don't have total clarity in terms of what we can watch from a practice perspective but i'm going to wager a guess and say it's going to be very similar to last week because so far everything else has been and, and say we'll probably be able to watch practices on tuesday thursday and then maybe saturday scrimmage again i don't know if we'll be in for that i hope we are because i think we take a lot away from yesterday's scrimmage and here we are doing a podcast for you know close to an hour with tons of information and there's probably a lot of things that we even haven't even mentioned that we could um, talk about so I hope from a content perspective and educating the the listeners perspective we're able to watch Saturday scrimmage but no clarity there um, but all in all we'll have you know tons of coverage next week week two of fall camp um, Oregon you know I think we'll be in full pads quite a bit they will be in shells a little bit because they do have to um, follow some NCAA guidelines in terms of how often they can, you know, fully practice in pads. But going to be fun to be out there again next week in whatever capacity we're allowed, talk to some players, get a better feel for some things, follow up on some storylines. Um, Jared, good show. I think we got some good stuff here. I agree. It was a good one. It was chock full of information. I hope we get to go to next Saturday's uh, scrimmage. That'd be even better. All right, for Jared Mack, this is Eric Scopel. You've been listening to the Yachts and Audibles podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace.